The first Valentine's Day after Camille and I got married, I learned a hard lesson. She's already beaming as I share this story. After we got married in 2005, we moved to Michigan, and I entered into the seminary, and she continued her education there. And as Valentine's Day approached, we had an agreement. I'm sharing this because I've already put this in an article that has been read in the Avenus Review, so she shouldn't be blushing as I'm telling, you know, 70 people here today, right? But anyway, we, we had this agreement that we were not going to make a big deal out of Valentine's Day. Men, have you had those agreements before with your wives? We're not going to make a big deal about Valentine's Day. And so I thought that was the agreement we had. But as the day approached, it became apparent that there was not necessarily a union of minds on this idea. She had verbalized to me that this was what we would do. After all, it's just a hallmark invented day, right? And we'd rather give each other nice gifts and cards and flowers throughout the rest of the year rather than doing it on a day that was kind of made up by Hallmark. I apologize if, you, if Valentine's Day is your favorite holiday. I don't mean to rain on your parade. But this is the agreement that we had. But as the day came, it became apparent to me that my lovely wife was kind of having a change of heart. As she saw the nice flowers and cards and gifts that her friends were getting from their husbands or boyfriends, it was voiced to me by a third party that she probably would like something after all. So about mid-afternoon, I started scrambling. I started saying, oh man, i got to come up with something to give to her. And so I took one of my newfound passions in the seminary and decided to make a card out of that. And that newfound passion was the Hebrew language. I had fallen in love with the Hebrew language because of one of my teachers. He had, he had presented it in such a way that it just warmed my heart so much, and I thought to myself quite logically, why not create a little card that tells Camille that I love her in Hebrew? That sounds real romantic, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it, ladies? Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Thank you. And so I got onto my computer, and I figured out the way to write so many words, I love you in Hebrew, and I even put the English words right below each Hebrew word, and I put it in nice four color on the, on the card, and I printed it off, and I gave it to her. Well, you can imagine the reaction. It was not one of total disdain, but it was one of confusion. Because here it was, I had given her something that I thought would be so heartwarming when in fact it was not what she was looking for. I learned a couple lessons that day. One, don't approach Valentine's Day without being prepared. I should have had some of you counsel me before that day approached a few years ago. But the second thing I realized is that I had been in some ways speaking, and we talked about this as the young adults last night a little bit, I had been speaking my love language, i.e. Hebrew, but it was not Camille's love language. I was not speaking to her in something that she would feel loved by me through. I want you to open the pages of your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel to our scripture reading this morning. We continue our series on the Sabbath. Now, this is the fourth sermon in the series, and uh, just by way of reference to our new website, you can go back and listen to the previous ones, although the first one is not available. But the previous two are available, so if you've missed those two previous sermons, I'd invite you to go listen to them, because this, this is, this is uh, a sermon that's farther down the line. And so if you haven't heard the first two or three, go and listen to them. They'll give you a little more context. But, you know, this Valentine's Day experience and Valentine's Day as a whole helped me recognize some things about the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath is a holiday or a holy day, isn't it? It's a day where the omni-relational God, you remember we talked about God's omni-relational heart? Remember how we talked about God is all about relationship and he's seeking to pursue us in relationship? 
The Sabbath is a day where we can respond to God and we can return our love back to Him. Notice what Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12 says, Moreover, I also gave them. Notice that's what God is saying. Moreover, I also gave them. I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. A couple things we could just learn very quickly from this passage, and we could spend the whole sermon talking about this passage, but we won't. But it's interesting to notice the context of this passage, because if you were to go back to verse 1, and you were to trace some things throughout uh, the book of Ezekiel and Jeremiah and so forth, you would discover that this vision that Ezekiel has was actually given five years to the exact day before Jerusalem was destroyed once and for all before Jesus. It was actually destroyed exactly five years later to the very day. And so this vision, this message in some ways, is very apocalyptic in its content. It is a warning to God's people. It is a warning about the Sabbath. It is an invitation to enjoy the Sabbath in its fullness. Interestingly, the book of Revelation refers to the book of Ezekiel perhaps more than any other book in the whole Old Testament. Some of us maybe think it's the book of Daniel, but even just by sheer volume, Ezekiel is many more chapters than the book of Daniel. And so Revelation utilizes the book of Ezekiel more than any other book. Very interesting that as we are living in the end times, in the next sermon we share, we'll be looking at the Sabbath and its end time significance. But as we are living in the end times, we can learn from the book of Ezekiel. And so Jesus, God says, moreover, I also gave them my Sabbath. It was a gift that God has given to his people. I gave them my Sabbath that it may be a sign between them and me that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. That word for sanctify literally means to set apart. Isn't that what we do in marriage with one another? We set one another apart. We say, this is my spouse. This is the person to whom I am committed. And the other person, the, the spouse, says that about us. So it's almost as if God has given us the Sabbath as a sign that he has set us apart in marriage. He has devoted his love to us, and we are invited to do the same with him. You know, as I've shared already in the past, the last few sermons, actually, I'm going to keep on repeating this, I've come to realize very recently that nothing reveals our heart more than the Sabbath does. There's nothing in this whole world that, I can think of, that shows us where our hearts are in relation to God, more than anything else. You know, the first and, first and greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God. And the second greatest commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, I've already said this, but in the Garden of Eden, God gave two institutions that reveal where we are in our relation to those two greatest commandments more than anything else. The Sabbath tells us where our hearts are in relation to God, and family, doesn't it? He gave us the he gave us family. He gave us marriage because I can put on a nice smiley face when I come to church or when I go to work, and everyone can think I'm a nice person. But when I go home, it really reveals where my heart is in relation to other people, doesn't it? When the mask is off and my patience is running thin, how do I treat my wife? How do I treat my children? when nobody else is looking. So God has given us these two institutions as a revelation and as a mirror for us to determine where we are in relation to Him and where we are in relation to our fellow human beings. I want to challenge you this afternoon to do something for me. I want to challenge you because I think there's nothing, nothing that reveals where we are in relation to God as it relates to the Sabbath than what we talk about during Sabbath lunch. Just, just pause and, and, and take stock of where our conversation turns during Sabbath lunch. Have you ever noticed that? I, can, I, I weep many times, and I'm speaking about myself, where my conversation naturally goes toward. I have an opportunity to do nothing else but praise God and, and, and uplift the beautiful love of Christ. And what do I often find my conversation going towards. 
Notice this quotation. You have it there in your study guide. And is there anybody who does not have a study guide this afternoon? This morning? Notice what Ellen White says in Steps to Christ. And this is not specifically related to the Sabbath, but I think it's a beautiful, a beautiful mirror of where our hearts are, especially on the Sabbath, because we have a whole 24-hour period, a whole 24-hour day where we can do nothing else. We have every excuse to do nothing else but just be in fellowship and communion with God. Now, I'm not saying, friends, don't misunderstand me, that we need to spend the whole day quoting Bible verses. That's not what we're talking about. But notice this quotation, one of my favorite passages in Steps to Christ. She says, By what means, then, shall we determine whose side we're on? Many people will say, well, if we keep the commandments, if we keep the Sabbath, if we, if we uh, are, are good about our diet, if we get enough exercise, if we pay our tithe. But she goes to something even more deep. She says, who has the heart? Who has the heart? With whom are our thoughts? Of whom do we love to converse? Who has our warmest affections and our best energies? If we are Christ, our thoughts are with him, and our sweetest thoughts are of him. All we have and are is consecrated to him. We long to bear his image, breathe his spirit, do his will, and please him in all things. What a beautiful picture, what a beautiful insight to really where our hearts are. And the Sabbath comes along once every week, and it shows us where our hearts are. I praise the Lord that he has given us this beautiful gift so that he is able to show to us where our affections really are. Because as I said, when we have every excuse in the world to leave everything else behind, work, play, competition, media, whatever else it is, what do we naturally desire to do during these blessed hours, this blessed gift that God has given to us? You know that illustration that I shared about Valentine's Day? Sadly, some of us approach the day like I did Valentine's Day. We are rather unprepared and ill-equipped to face it. Maybe that shows exactly how much appreciation we have for God because God has given us a Sabbath, given us the Sabbath as a what? He said, I have given you a Sabbath as a gift. So if we despise the gift, we really are despising the giver, aren't we? If we despise the gift, we are saying, you know what? I don't care for you even. There's a second thing, as I said, that I came to sense, and that is sometimes you and I, during the Sabbath, we start doing things that bring us pleasure, that bring us satisfaction. We speak our love language to God. And we say, say to ourselves, well, you know what? This is what I want to do. This is how I feel blessed. This is what, what gives me joy. And God says to us, why don't you trust me? And why don't you ask me what, first of all, would bring me joy on this day? Because that which brings me joy is actually the thing that will bring you the greatest joy. You know, God is not out to be a spoil sport. I don't know if any of you realize this. Maybe you do and, and you've never really thought about it. But, you know, God is not out to be a spoil sport. We've talked already before that the primary characteristic, the very nature of God, is that God is love, right? First John says it twice. God is love. And so if he is love, his very motivations, his desires is to give and to bless us. And so when he gives us the gift of the Sabbath, it seems to me that he also knows how we can best enjoy that gift. Now I want to be clear about something here because I was startled to read something just this past week in preparation for the sermon. But there was a, uh, an individual named May Ellen Cologne who works for the General Conference, and she did a Ph.D. dissertation. And for her dissertation, she did research and surveyed and studied people's Sabbath-keeping habits throughout the world. She, she surveyed and talked to three, 4,000 people. And she, share, she asked a question on that survey. And this was what the question was. 
I keep the Sabbath. This is one of the questions. I keep the Sabbath. It's not in your study guide. But I keep the Sabbath because it contributes to my salvation. I want you to think about that question for one second before I tell you what the percentage was of people who answered yes and those who answered no. Think about it for one second. I keep the Sabbath because it contributes to my salvation. Did you know that of the three or 4,000 people around the world that answered this question, 70% answered yes. 70% said, I keep the Sabbath because it contributes to my salvation. That's startling to me. That's startling to me because we just read that the Sabbath is a gift, right? It is a gift to be received by faith. It is not something that we do for God, but it is something that He does for us. Notice this powerful quotation from Sigve Tonstead. He is a professor, both of medicine and theology out at Loma Linda University. Notice what he says here. The seventh day tells, you have this in your study guide, the seventh day tells of the importance of human beings to God. God is an omni-relational God, and he gave us this day so that you and I could be in fellowship with him and with one another. But he says, the seventh day tells us the importance of human beings to God, and its primary purpose is not human duty, but what? Divine commitment. See, God gave us the Sabbath as a precious gift. And so God is inviting us to receive it as a gift, not as something we pay to God to earn salvation. But somehow, some way, we've been tripped up in the thinking that the Sabbath is something I do to earn God's favor. The Sabbath is something I keep to earn salvation. The Sabbath is something I do as a duty. When God says, I have given you this day as a gift so that we can have fellowship with one another. Now, we touched upon this a little bit last time, but that does not preclude do's and don'ts on the Sabbath. Now, I'd like to speak on, on behalf of do's and don'ts for a second. Can I do that? We usually think of do's and don'ts as completely negative. Boy, well, these are negative, restrictive things. But you know, all of us, whether we realize it or not, in every relationship we have, there are certain underlying do's and don'ts that we know to be appropriate, don't we? You know, not once has Camille ever said to me, when you are greeting ladies who are walking out the door, you are not to kiss them. She's never, ever explained that to me. Why? Because she knows that I'm not going to do it. She knows that I won't want to do it. But this is a do and don't, isn't it? Don't do that. Now, though it's never been mentioned, doesn't mean it's still not in place. And so there are certain things that God invites us to do, and there are certain things he invites us not to do on the Sabbath. Not, again, not as a way to earn his salvation, not as a way to gain his favor, but as a way to enjoy fellowship with him the most. You see, God is, is asking for our hearts. He's asking for our devotion and our love and our, our affections. You know, he knows exactly the things that distract us the most from giving him our full love and affections. So we're going to spend the rest of our sermon looking at seven Sabbath principles. I'm not one who usually enjoys lists in sermons. It feels too academic. It feels too intellectual or boring even. But we're going to look at seven Sabbath principles because as I've studied Scripture, I've determined that there are seven basic principles that God gives us as a means of enjoying optimal Sabbath love and fellowship and rest in Him. So we're going to look at that this morning for the next few minutes. And I want to be clear on something. Again, these are not things that we do to earn God's favor or salvation. These are things that you and I are invited to participate in as a means of enjoying optimal fellowship with God and with one another. Now, we talked a little bit about it when we looked at the book of Galatians as well, but here's another little uh, reality check as well. You and I are incapable of keeping even one of these principles. You and I are actually incapable of keeping the Sabbath. 
It is impossible. It is absolutely impossible for you and I to keep the Sabbath. No amount of effort and hard work is able to help us keep the Sabbath. It is only as we receive the grace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, that he does it in and through us. So the law and these principles have a similarity in that they are simply for the purpose of doing two things. One, showing us our need for God. Because as we take stock of our lives and we say, wait a minute, I'm not living up to that principle. I'm not aligning my life and my heart with that. It's to show, out, show us our need for God. And then secondly, to show us what the grace-filled life looks like. It's not for us, again, it's not for us to say, okay, wait a minute, I'm not doing that, let me start doing it. We can't do it. It's only as the grace of God, as we go, go bowing on our knees to the cross of Christ, and we say, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We cling to his grace and his cross and his mercy, and then he changes our hearts, and we start doing those things that we found impossible to do before. All right. So I want you to fasten your seatbelts. you have them? you have your seatbelts fastened? We're going to look very quickly, hopefully very quickly, at these seven Sabbath principles. Some we'll spend a little while on. Others we'll, we'll go through quickly. Some of them we'll look at the verses. The others we won't. You'll just go and be like a Berean, right? You'll go home and see if you'll study the Scriptures for yourself and see if these things be so. Amen? All right. So we'll look at the seven Sabbath principles. And just one more thing, one more caveat. These are principles, meaning they are timeless and universal, though they do need subjective application. All right? There are certain things that are black and white when it comes to the Sabbath. There are certain things that need a little subjective interpretation and application. All right? So let's go. Number one, these are all our words. Number one, it's very basic and very simple. Number one, remember. 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 Now, most of us think of the uh, fourth commandment in Exodus 20, but what we are actually speaking of when it comes to remember is the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So turn with me there very quickly. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. This is the second time that Moses has the law given to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The book of Deuteronomy literally means the second giving of the law in Hebrew. So, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we read verse 15. Notice what God instructs the children of Israel, to, and he says to them, And remember that you were a what? A slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath is first and foremost... A, an invitation for us to remember his deliverance. You know, in the fourth commandment in, Gen in Exodus 20, it's, it's to recall to our minds creation. So it's to recall to our minds both creation and redemption and his setting us apart. And so Sabbath is a special opportunity for us to recall the salvation story. Sabbath is a special time for us to bring to mind and to memory his deliverance in our lives. And this day, we should be enjoying that special memory. That we were once slaves, but now we have been set free. We were once in, bo in bondage to sin. We were once in bondage to other habits and tasks and, 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 and masters, but now God has set us free and he is sanctifying us he is making us holy so the sabbath is first and foremost a day to remember and i might add right here if i come to an activity on the sabbath and i say now is this a good thing for me to be involved with one of the good questions to ask is will this help me remember the fact that god has set me free or am i actually showing that i'm still enslaved to my old life my old ways my old habits God says, remember that you were once slaves, but I have brought you out. I have, I have redeemed you. I have set you free. All right? Principle number two, ready. First was remember. Second was ready. Now this is, we don't use this very often, but this is in the verb form, to ready. Okay? So we are to ready. We are to prepare. And this is all by the grace of God. This is not in our own power, our own strength. But I have found in my own experience that many of my so-called Sabbath dilemmas are taken care of when I'm actually prepared for the day. 
You know, as we've already mentioned, that the Jews, they start preparing for Sabbath when? Sundown, Saturday night. Their whole week is a pilgrimage to the seventh day. And so they are looking forward to it. As I've shared with you as well, my dad, I think I shared this with you, my dad used to always say when we were growing up that the Sabbath was a date with God. So he'd say, you know what? If you were going out on a little date with a a girl, of course I was eight years old and just looking up and saying, what is he talking about? But, you know, if you were preparing for a special date, you would want to make sure you were ready before she arrived. I don't want to get political, and I'm not, they'll take this the wrong way, but if we had the president, and we knew the president of the United States was coming over our house, whether you like the man or not, I hope you do because he's a child of God, right? If the president of the United States you knew was coming over to your house and he only had a few minutes to spare there at your house, do you think you would want to be prepared for his arrival or not? Yes, you would, and you wouldn't want to leave anything undone. You wouldn't want to leave anything, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to say, well, wait a minute, I didn't buy that you know, food item for him, and I have to go out to the store and run after and get it, because the time is precious when he's there. So God invites us to ready or prepare. There's a reason why the Jews called Friday Preparation Day, right? They called it Preparation Day because they were preparing for the king of the universe to come and spend time with them in their house. Even to this day, our Jewish brothers and sisters, they they get so excited about the Sabbath coming. And they have special bread that they buy, and they make sure that they're all prepared for that day to come. And and as I mentioned in the last sermon, they, they, they view the Sabbath as the day is getting darker and darker. They say it's the Sabbath starting to come in until at sundown it fully arrives. And the queen, they call the Sabbath the queen. The queen has arrived. And we can now celebrate the presence of God. I want to add one thing here, however, to our preparations. And that is, when sundown comes, surrender the stuff that didn't get done. Surrender it over. I noticed on David Asherick's Facebook page this week something that was very very amusing to me. And he says he tells this to his wife many Friday nights. I don't know if you know who David Asherick is, but he is an Adventist preacher that goes all around the world, and so his life can kind of get busy. This is what he says to his wife. When they don't quite get everything in its place for Sabbath, he said, my house is a mess. You have it there in your study guide? My house is a mess, but my soul is at rest. Isn't that nice? Men, use that with your wife sometime. My soul, my house is a mess, but my soul is at rest. God wants us to, yes, prepare and to make ready but when the Sabbath comes, the, point of the, the whole point of the Sabbath is to be at rest and to surrender over to God and say, well, you know, I didn't get that done, but you know what? I'll survive. My life will go on if somebody comes over and there's, you know, a dirty shirt on the floor. Well, the world won't come to an end. You know, Jesus said to Martha, what did he say to Martha? You are too busy. Mary has chosen a better work as she sat at his feet. Say, Martha, 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 you are too overwhelmed with the cares of this world. All right, remember, ready, number three, it's a no-brainer, but rest. Rest. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, and Mark 6, 31, there's no, no wonder that Jesus, multiple times on the Sabbath, he said stuff like, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. He shared that promise on the Sabbath. There's also other instances where he said to his disciples, why don't you come apart and rest a while? Let's just unload all of our burdens and all of our stresses and all of our work. Let's just leave it at the doorstep as we come in and we fellowship and we enjoy rest. Of course, the Sabbath commandment in Exodus chapter 20 has that, that very specific type of rest, and that is to cease from our labors. There's two Hebrew words that are used in Exodus chapter 20 in the Sabbath commandment. One is labor, the other is work. The, the labor the, it speaks about literally means that those things that we are enslaved to, those things that we are in servitude to. And then the second one has the idea of ordinary uh, occupation that we do for, from 9 to 5 you know, during the week. God invites us to surrender that work on the Sabbath and say, I don't have to do it anymore. I can leave it behind me. I don't have to worry about the office. I don't have to worry about mowing my lawn. I don't have to worry about all these things that just try to 
creep into my life. Things that just stress me out. I'm just going to surrender it over to God as I enter into his rest. Number one, remember. Number two, ready. Number three, rest. Number four, refrain. Refrain. Now we're getting this from the book of Nehemiah, where God gives a message to Nehemiah. And in this vision, he sees that people are standing at the gates of Jerusalem and they are trying to buy and sell their wares. And so God is inviting us, as one of the underlying principles of Sabbath, he's inviting us to refrain from the, the tyranny of the economy. Yeah, there's a lot of made about the economy these days, isn't there? People are just ruled by money. Not to be a bearer of bad news, but I just heard that Bank of America is going to start charging $5 to use a debit card each month, which doesn't make me happy since I'm with Bank of America. But these things are all creeping in, and people are, are trying to vie for our attention with finances. And God says, you know what? I care too much about you to stress over finances. So instead of laying down the plastic, instead of forking over the bills, just leave it. Just let it go. Interestingly, there's a study that I was, int- that I was intrigued to read a few years ago. It's a study that was done in Jerusalem, and they were, de- they were trying to determine what made people happy. And they compared two different things to determine which one made people happier. Very interesting. One of the things that they did was they had people go out and go to church, go to synagogue, go to worship. And then they compared that against people who just went out shopping. Did you know that they found overwhelmingly that those who spent time in worship and in prayer prayer and praise, they had significantly less stress than those who spent the day shopping? That kind of surprises some of us, perhaps. You think, oh, what, what more joy is there than to go out and just spend the day shopping? Notice what this study said at the end of the study. the end of the article, it says, we could all stand to take a day of rest from commercialism to get some perspective on what makes us truly happy, whether we consider ourselves religious or not. God is inviting you to not worry about the bills. He's he's inviting you not to worry about how much something is going to cost. Now, I know that there are some people who, I've heard this explained many times, you say, you know what, I've had a tough week. There's nothing better than to take my family and to go out to Olive Garden on Sabbath afternoon and to just enjoy the day of rest. And I know this is becoming more of an issue. It's a burden upon my heart. I'm not going to tell you that you're a bad person if you do it. I'm not going to condemn you. But I just see in Scripture the principle of being freed from the tyranny of money all the time. Say, well, pastor, it's so peaceful and restful. You know, I spend all week worried about cooking and all that. I just want to leave it. Don't worry about the dishes or anything. Well, first question is, who is it restful for? You're, You're requiring somebody to wait on you, aren't you? You say, well, they're going to be there anyway. But why do we have to contribute to that? Why do we have to add to their stress, whether they're going to be there or not? God invites us in the Sabbath commandment to even extend rest to our children, our animals, and the stranger who is within our gates. And guess what? When we sit down in that restaurant, that's where we're saying our meal is coming from, and that's our gates. I know maybe I'm stretching a little bit, but you understand what I'm saying. God invites us to pay forward the rest that we are enjoying. Secondly, why do the dishes have to get done on Sabbath? This is something that I'm, I'm, I'm burdened about. This is something I'm burdened about. You know, so two of my favorite people in the world, I took class from them in the seminary, Drs. Richard and Joanne Davidson. They're, he's a professor of Old Testament. She's a theology professor there at Andrews. And I've spent many a Sabbath at their house. You know what? They have a, they have a rule in their house. No doing dishes on Sabbath. No doing dishes. They just let them pile up because they say, you know what, we're not going to let this this stress, and some of you are saying, well, it's not a stress. It's a stress to have them there. God says, find your rest in me. If dishes in the sink stresses you out, you need to allow my heart to become your heart. And just leave them. The Sabbath is a day to just put all that stuff behind you. 
So God is inviting us to extend rest to others, and he's inviting us not to worry about buying this or buying that or being consumed with, with these things in the economy. Number, number four, what was that? Number four, refrain. So we have remember, ready, rest, refrain. Number five, this may come as a surprise to you, but recreate. Recreate. Now we need to clarify here what we mean by recreate. You may be surprised that it's in there, but that's because most of us have a wrong understanding of what the word recreate actually means. See, we think recreate means to play games, to play sports, to play video games, to watch TV, but that is not what the word recreate originally meant. The word recreate means to recreate. And so God invites us on this special day, and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. God invites us on this special day to recreate or to recreate, to enter into experiences where he can recreate his spirit within us. Notice what Isaiah chapter 58 says, starting in verse 13. Now, there are two kind of issues, a negative and a positive, that we need to look at in relation to recreation. Notice what Isaiah records. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. Now, there's, there's a tension going on here in this verse itself. It says, on the one hand, you need to turn away from doing your own pleasure, but you need to find delight in the Sabbath. Now, I'm quite sure that God, if he gave us the Sabbath, and it's a gift from him, he has a good idea as to what will actually help us delight in the Sabbath, don't you think? He kind of has the blueprint for us, and he knows exactly what it is. Not that, not that we have the whole picture of what it is, but he, he gives us guiding principles to help us figure out what it is that actually does recreate his spirit within us. Now, I need to pause right here to, to, to share a little caveat, and this is where it gets a little subjective. But there are, this, this issue does take a lot of personal decision-making. What is it that recreates God's spirit within me, and what is it that doesn't? Just as one little example, I read in this book again by May, May Ellen Cologne. There was a guy who came over from Germany who was a, who was a Sabbath keeper. And uh, he came over, lived here in the United States from Germany. And his first Sabbath he was here, he was absolutely scandalized because people were swimming on the Sabbath. He said, what in the world is going on here? This is not acceptable where I come from. He said, this is absolutely wrong. This is, this is inappropriate. So he decided he would avoid doing that evil. So he went out to his car and he took out his soccer ball and he started playing soccer the rest of the Sabbath afternoon. He had found an appropriate Sabbath afternoon activity. Now, I'm not speaking to the wrongness or rightness of either issue, but it just shows that there is some subjective and personal decisions we have to make. Is this something, we have to ask ourselves these questions. Is this something that truly recreates God's spirit within me? Is this something that helps me remember God's saving work on my behalf? Is this something that gives me rest? God will help us understand those things if we are really willing and humble enough to stop before we assume this is all right or this isn't all right. For those of you who are looking for a little bit more black and white, here's a quotation. Take it if you will. But notice, every working of Christ in miracles was essential and was to reveal to the world that there was a great work to be done on the Sabbath day for the relief of suffering humanity. But the common work was not to be done. Pleasure-seeking, ball-playing, swimming was not a necessity, but a sinful neglect of the sacred day sanctified by Jehovah. Christ did not perform miracles merely to display his power, but always to meet Satan and afflicting, suffering humanity. You say, Pastor, wait a minute, I can't swim on the Sabbath. Boy, I find God's pleasure when I swim on the Sabbath. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you what to do. 
But God is simply inviting you to enter into experiences that are going to truly recreate His Spirit within you and to truly help you remember and enjoy God's rest and His deliverance. So, if you disagree, I invite you to look up that quote and find the context and do what you will with it. Number six. So we had remember, we had ready, we had rest, refrain, recreate, and number six, relate. Relate. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it tells us not to forsake the assembling together of brothers and sisters. In other words, show up to church. Let me say that again. Show up to church. It does the pastor's heart well. This isn't an arbitrary invitation. And I'm not singling anybody out. I know it's, it's good every once in a while to go and take a day in God's nature because that's a very recreating activity, isn't it? But God invites us to have fellowship with one another as a very integral part of our growth in him. I love this quotation again from Sigvay Tonstad. Notice, the Sabbath means togetherness. The Sabbath means togetherness instead of separation, permanence instead of transience, continuity instead of disruption, and presence instead of absence. God gave us one another so that we could encourage one another, that we could lift one another up. You know, we spend most of our weeks in separation. You say, no, I go to work and I'm just around people all the time. But you know, Many of the time, much of the time during our week, we are kind of separating ourselves off emotionally because we don't want to be affected by this person. We don't want to be stressed out by that person. And we try to escape. But God tells us on the special day to come apart and have fellowship with Him and with one another. So God says, come and celebrate together. Come and encourage one another. Come and, here's an important part, come and hold one another accountable. I know that's not popular for many people, but we need to hold one another accountable. We can't do that when we're isolated. We can't do that when we're off in our different places. And again, I'm not condemning you. I, I am happy to take a Sabbath off in nature here and there. But God is inviting us to participate in this journey together. Okay, finally, lastly, number seven. Number seven, restore. Restore. We looked last week very briefly at Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus, and he did this a number of times, he brought healing to people. And he, he relieved their suffering. God is inviting us to participate in the same thing to the benefit of others. You know, in the survey that this lady took around the world, she was very happy to find that 80% of respondents went to church on Sabbath, but a mere 26% participated in service to others on Sabbath. You know, Jesus said it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And that's not just talking about something that makes me feel good. It's talking about something in a moral sense. It is lawful to do good. We looked at this quotation last time, but notice this very poignant, poignant statement. He will not be held guiltless who neglects to relieve suffering on the Sabbath. Wow, that's a slap in the face, isn't it? But we need slaps in the face sometimes, don't we? He, he will not be held guiltless who, who, who neglects to relieve suffering on the Sabbath. God is inviting us to look outward, not just look inward. Some of us enjoy Sabbath rest. We say, oh, it's a great time to catch up on sleep. It's a great time to have fun with my loved ones and friends and family. But very few of us think, how can I be of benefit to somebody else during this day? How can I relieve suffering? How can I encourage somebody? How can I bring healing on this day? I'm not saying you get to go out and sing the Sunshine Band every Sabbath afternoon at the nursing home. I know it's getting late, but I just want to share this little anecdote with you. A few years ago, one of my churches, one family started up a Sunshine Band on Sabbath afternoons going to sing for people in a nursing home. And uh, this family comes from maybe a little more what we'd call a conservative family. I don't like to label people. But, you know, they had a number of young kids, and they'd bring their kids out to, to the nursing home. 
And those kids absolutely loved it. They just looked forward to it all the time. This is so great. This is awesome. They had so much joy because of doing it. And I compared that to my own attitude towards it. I said, you know, I, I remember growing up going to nursing homes, and I used to think it was a drag. I used to think it was boring. And I know that there are other people, when it comes to this type of thing, that say, oh, man, that's terrible. That's, that's not the way I want to spend my Sabbath afternoon. I compared that to another young family that I was studying the Bible with, and when I shared with them that on Sabbath, we probably wouldn't want to play soccer on Sabbath because we'd want to, we'd want to you know, be in fellowship with God. He said, what, are you kidding me? He said, Pastor Brace says we can't play soccer on Sabbath. What's wrong with playing soccer? As I compared these two paradigms, these two attitudes, I realized that Sabbath-keeping was not the difference. It was the other six days of the week that was the difference. You see, if you and I spend the rest of our week in selfish gratification and entertainment, of course, serving others will seem like a drag. But this, this young family that loved the nursing home, they led a very simple life that did not get all involved in all the things of entertainment. And so they were actually able to enjoy being selfless because they didn't spend the rest of the week being selfish. Now, all of us are selfish. I'm not saying they've reached perfection. But I hope you understand what I'm saying. You know, God invites us to live selflessly. And if we spend our whole lives being selfish, sure, it's going to seem like a drag on Sabbath to actually be selfless for a few minutes. Of course, I've found that inevitably every time I do make that choice to be selfless, it actually does become a blessing. I may dread it, the potential, thinking about it. Oh, man, I would, that sounds so bad. But then when God blesses me with the privilege of actually letting down my selfishness, what a blessing it is. God made us to feel blessed when we give, didn't he? Well, I want to end with a little story about a man who is a pastor, was a former pastor in South Africa. I read this story a few years ago. He's 80 years old. And guess what? He's a marathon runner. Anybody here who's 80 who's a marathon runner? Anybody here who's a marathon runner? I know there's a few who have run marathons in the past that I know of. But this man is 80 years old, and he runs marathons. Not only does he run marathons, he runs ultramarathons. Now, how many miles is a marathon? 26.2, right? Don't forget that, point two. Everyone always makes a note of saying but ultramarathons go beyond 26. Some are 50 miles, some are 100 miles, some are even more. But this man, he has been running ultramarathons in South Africa that are 34.8 miles. And he's run many of these during his life. In fact, he's, he's run this particular, it's called the Two Oceans Ultramarathon in Cape Town, South Africa. He's run it five times. He's 80 years old. Of course, he didn't run them all when he was 80. But he's still active, still spry, still running. These days, however, he only runs the half marathon, the, the Two Oceans half marathon. But you know what's very interesting? Is the race is on Sabbath. Every year it's on Sabbath. And he's never had to break the Sabbath to run it. You know, when he first decided to run this marathon, he was confronted with this problem of Sabbath running. And he said, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to run on Sabbath. Just, to me, it's not a blessing. If I'm running 34.8 miles or even half that on Sabbath, that's just not a blessing. It's nothing I want to participate in. I know some people feel comfortable with that. I'm not condemning you if you feel comfortable with that. I just don't feel like that that lines up with what I understand from Scripture. But some people say, well, you know, what can I do? It's a whole race. I mean, I got, if I want to race, i got to do it. Maybe I'll be a good witness for God. Well, this man decided that he would actually approach the race officials and ask them if he could run the race on Friday, the day before. And so they said, sure, yeah, go for it. Well, it turns out that he's not the only one who wanted to do it. And so every year there are about 50 individuals Seventh-day Adventists, Jews, and those who are race officials that would like to run it but can't because they're helping out the next day, 
About 50 of them every year run the race on Friday, and it's officially recognized as the race. All because this man said, you know what, I don't want to compromise, and I would like to show my appreciation for God and and show others how important this day is to me. So I am going to, to actually organize an official race to take place on the day before. I was intrigued by what he said. You don't have it in your study guide. This is what he said. I have never raced on Sabbath, he said, and not running on Sabbath has not hampered my running career. If I felt it was in order for me to run races on Sabbath, I would be honor-bound to open up all Sabbath sport to our young people. That means cricket matches, soccer matches, baseball, basketball, swimming galas. Of course, if we can argue that perhaps we have been too strict on the question of Sabbath races and should ease up, we must insist this is the way to go for all young people and all sports. And then he adds a little parenthetical statement that I was amused by. He says, perhaps with the exception of boxing, as it might be hard to argue for Sabbath-keeping while knocking your opponent down. That's, that's insightful. But you know, he said also in the article, I'm not doing it because I'm legal, legalistic. I'm doing it because I'm responding to the God who gave us this precious gift in the Sabbath. Not as some restriction but as some way to enjoy fellowship with him, a way to just throw everything else aside and to, ent- and to enter into complete surrender and rest and recreation with my Savior. Friends, we've looked at some principles of Sabbath-keeping. I'm not telling you to go out and determine to do them. I'm just telling you to take stock of your own life and ask the Lord to show you Where in your life you have held your heart back from him? Because that's what we're getting at, right? Who has the heart? Is it God or is it myself? Keeping it all to me as I just use this day for my selfish ends. God says, come to me and I will give you rest. True rest. Come to me.